All right, so Ellie, you've got my imagination really churning with this whole uh, football season for the choir. I've got some ideas um, that just come to me uh, on my way up here. I was just thinking maybe we could do, uh, instead of calling it choir practice, we could actually call it football practice. Um, and so some of, maybe some of the more masculine men in the church could tell their friends, uh, sorry, I'm, I've got football practice that night. And, and, and maybe it's possible that we could shoot some videos, the promo videos, and I, what I really want to see is the choir that was up here today. Well, I want to pull one of those banners across the field that the football team runs through, but I want the choir to run through it and kind of break through the banner. And then, uh, and then after, uh, after a really good choir piece, when Ellie turns around to dismiss people, I want the choir to go with the Gatorade bucket and, 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 and get Ellie... Just, um, these are things I think will just add to our choir tremendously. Well, uh, welcome. Um, I want to invite you, as always, to gather around the Word of God. It's so great to be in Matthew's Gospel. That's where we've been. And I can uh, think of no greater privilege than to introduce people to the Jesus we find in Scripture. So let me remind you of what happened last time we were together. Last week we read about the mission of of Jesus. And if you remember, Jesus was doing ministry in Galilee. Look how Matthew describes the mission of Jesus. Look at Matthew 9.35. Okay, we'll read that together just to get our bearings here. And Jesus was going throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. So what Matthew is saying is that uh, that Jesus had this ministry in Galilee, and that ministry was threefold. Jesus was preaching the word in the synagogues. He was sharing the good news of the gospel on the highways and the byways. And so, I mean, in one way we have preaching, and then we have evangelism. And it says, and Jesus was was healing every, every disease and affliction. So these three things, there's preaching, evangelism, and there's this miraculous healings of, of mercy. And, and what we got into last week was asking the question of kind of motivation. What was motivating Jesus to do all of this? And yes, it was because it was the will of his Father, but we also learned last week that Jesus was motivated by compassion. Do you remember that? That he was motivated by compassion. And, and we, we find that in Matthew uh, 9, 36. And just we'll get our bearing again. Look at this with me. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had what? He had compassion for them, because they were the crowds of people that were there. He's talking about Jews here, and these crowds—they they were harassed and they were they were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. So he's, he's looking at his people, and he's just great compassion for his people who were like a sheep without a shepherd. Uh, and last week, I kind of asked you this question, and the question was this: Do you have compassion for the crowds that you come across in life that we talked about? you know, those horrible trips uh, to, to Sam's and Walmart and how maybe if we could just kind of change our perspective to see the crowds and have compassion on them, maybe we might feel called to a ministry like Jesus felt called to. Uh, I want to talk about, about churches, and I want to tell you that oftentimes uh, churches get turned uh, inward. You know what I mean? And, and what I mean by this is, is, is that churches can become fully focused on themselves and, and the needs of, of one another, right? We, we all love each other, so we all get together and we do the things we like to do. And, and it's not malice when churches do this. They're not being mean. In fact, there's some great value when the church loves its members and cares for its members because uh, there really is a great witness uh, for the love of Christ in this, right? That they will know we are Christians by our love, one for the other. But the danger comes... Um, 
When a church is so focused on itself that it quits reaching for the lost. And it's really possible. It's possible for a church to stop having compassion for their neighbors and maybe start to see the people outside our church doors as being our maybe enemies because they hold to a different standard ethics than we do, right? I think it's always important that we as a church remember that we have been called to be a city on a hill, that we've been called to be the, the light of Jesus, to be salt and light, and, and to, we've been sent out to go make disciples. We have to continue to be outward focused as a church and as we strive to be the hands and feet of Christ. Last week we read together from Matthew nine thirty seven. This is what it said. You remember this? It's a great line. It said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And Jesus instructed, you know, when he was with his disciples, he says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And then, and then the way that Jesus goes about addressing this problem is that he instructs his disciples to begin to pray specifically for laborers to go out. Will you guys join me in praying for laborers to go out into the harvest? And, and I hope last week as we talked about that, that, that many of you joined me in praying that God would send more laborers out into the harvest because I, I think it costs you nothing. That's an easy prayer for you to pray, that God would continue, that you would, you would have compassion on the people outside our church, and you would begin praying that God would send laborers out there. Now, here's something that you need to know. Sometimes when you pray for something, God is going to call you yourself to be the answer to that prayer, okay? Uh, what do I mean by that? Let me give you some examples. Sometimes you will pray for God to do something and God's response will be to lead you by the Holy Spirit to go and serve to accomplish that end. So your prayer might be, you might, you might see Jim, and he's just moping around here one day, and you think to yourself, well, God, just encourage Jim. And the next thing you know, God might call you to go and be an encourager for Jim. Right? Sometimes out of your prayers, God calls you to action. You might be praying for God to take care of the orphans at King's Children's Home in Belize. And it just might happen that by his Holy Spirit, God will draw you that you should go. You know, sometimes you might be praying for the less fortunate. I don't know if you do this. God bless the less fortunate. And the next thing you know, God's calling you to go and meet the needs of the less fortunate. So, so what I want you to do with me today is, is I want you to begin to pray for those who are supposed to go on the next mission trip to Belize, right? See what I'm doing? Will you join me in praying for those that are supposed to go to Belize? That God would, would send laborers out into the harvest on the Belize trip? Because maybe, just maybe, God will send you. I don't know. Look how this happens in our story. Just one more time so we get grounded. Jesus tells the, the 12 disciples to pray. He says, you pray that God will send more out into the harvest. And then what does Jesus do? He turns around and he calls the 12 themselves to go and to be the answer for the very thing that he had them praying for to begin with. Look at verse 10.1. We'll just get grounded again here. Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Now, what I'm suggesting for you is happening in, in chapter 10 of Matthew is that the 12 disciples of Jesus were missionaries. I, I think this is a very healthy way to think about this. That, that they're some of the first early missionaries. That what's happening is this is mission work, that he is sending them out to be missionaries. They were sent by Jesus into the field 
They had a, a unique calling. They had a unique gifting. And what's, what's unique here is they had a unique office. Okay? Um, and, and, and why that's important is to say this, that you and I are not the 12 disciples. We're not apostles. You're not an apostle. And so we can't read everything uh, in this text and assume that it's 100% directed at us the same because you're not an apostle. Okay? That being said... I think we can learn a lot about what it means to be sent by Jesus, specifically to be sent out in the world to do missions. And I want to, uh, what I want to do now is I want to invite you to stand as we read God's Word. It's our tradition. Uh, if you're visiting for the first time, you're like, man, these people sit and stand a lot? And, and, and maybe we do, man. Uh, I don't know. It works for us. But the reason we stand is we find it appropriate uh, to be in the position of standing as we hear God's Word proclaimed. And, uh, and so before we read together, will you join me in prayer? Um, Father, we come to your word. We humble ourselves before your word. By the power of your Holy Spirit, may we hear it well. May we be convicted and inspired in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Okay, Matthew 10, beginning in verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles, And enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics, or sandals, or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet and you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please go ahead and be seated. If you were to look just a few verses back here, uh, Jesus, of course, sending out the 12. And, and if you look just a few verses back in Matthew, you're going to see that, that he lists all of their names. He's going to list out all the 12 disciples. And, and Peter is listed first. And, I mean, if you think about it, that kind of, I guess it kind of makes sense. Peter listed first. Judas is listed last. I can see that as well. I mean, it kind of, kind of makes sense. What you need to understand about this list of men is that these are not necessarily polished guys. They're not educated men. They don't have diplomas. They're not accomplished men. They're not even necessarily like righteous men. Peter will deny Jesus. Judas will betray Jesus. Thomas will doubt Jesus. Matthew is listed here as Matthew the tax collector, as if Matthew wants you to remember that he has a shady past. Jesus has called for himself unremarkable men to be his disciples. You have to think, uh, 
this is partly so that you and I will realize that God uses average people like us to accomplish his will. Now, eventually what's going to happen is that the resurrected Jesus will issue uh, to his disciples the Great Commission. You remember the Great Commission at the end of Matthew? That's the full sending out of, of the 12. But, but this isn't that. This is almost some sort of trial run for them, right? I think it's not wrong to think of Matthew 10 as Jesus sending out the 12 into kind of a, a short-term missions atmosphere. They're sent out for a, a short period of time. They've got a specific job to do. And it's all kind of part of their discipleship. Jesus is, is working with them. So he, he's kind of going to the 12. You go out and you do what you've seen me do. And then come back and let's talk about it. Talk about how it went. Talk about your struggles. And what a great way for Jesus to be equipping and training the 12. And then send them out in the short term. And then bring them back and talk about that. Here's what Jesus said to them. It's, it's Matthew 10, 5 through 6. Let's just look one more time. These 12 Jesus sends out instructing them, this, look at what he tells them to do. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus is sending the 12 disciples on a very specific mission. It is, it is to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that's just another way to talk about the Jews who had yet to uh, know the Messiahship of Jesus. In fact, Jesus actually instructs the 12 to avoid the Gentiles and the Samaritans. Now, um, I think you know like what a Gentile is. It's a non-Jew. A Samaritan was kind of someone who at one point had been a Jew, but then had gone and married a Gentile, and they had these kind of integrated practices, so they were kind of seen as, as, as half-breeds is the way that Jews would call them, um, which this kind of instruction of Jesus not to go to either one of them leaves some people ask, did Jesus not want to save the Gentiles or the Samaritans? Like, did Jesus only come to save the Jews? It's a fair question when you come to this text, right? What I need you to understand is that Jesus came to save his people from all tribes and all nations. And and over and over again in Scripture, we get this understanding. It's just that this, it had to start with the Jews. The order of operations is important here. The Jews were going to hear the proclamation of the kingdom first. The first mission of the 12 disciples was going to be strictly to Jews. That being said, like, like Jesus was clear, like we go back to Matthew 8, he was clear. So I need you to understand, understand this, that, that one day the nations would be included in the promises. Look at Matthew 8, 11 through 12. Look, look at this, it says this. And Jesus is talking, he says, I tell you, many will come from east and west And they're going to recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The idea is that all the Gentiles are going to come from the nations, and they're going to be integrated to this great table feast with with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven there. He's always got this idea that they're going to to be uh, accepted in and brought into what he's doing as part of the kingdom. But here's this other part. It says, uh, what about the sons of the kingdom who reject Jesus? He's talking about Jews there, right? Well, there's going to be some Jews who don't come in. They're going to be cast out into the outer darkness. Jesus will call people from all nations to his kingdom, but the Jews will be called first. And Jesus is sending the 12 to do exactly this. They're going to to do the calling. So now we know the audience of, of the ministry of the 12. Look with me at the kind of ministry that they're supposed to have. 
In, in verses 7 and 8, um, Jesus tells them this. And, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He tells them to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, and to cast out demons. So, so basically the mission of the 12 disciples is, as Jesus sends them out is go and tell the Jews that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And, and so like maybe we're not real clear what that means. Let me try to uh, summarize what we've learned about the kingdom of heaven, like how, how they might go and do that based on the rest of Matthew, like what it, what it means to, to, to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's, it's basically saying this, Jesus is the promised Messiah who has come to save his people. Jesus has demonstrated he is the Messiah through his life. His teaching is miracles. The time of ignorance is over. It's time to repent and to put your faith in Jesus because there is a fixed day when God will judge the world. Either you submit to Christ and find eternal life or you do not submit to him and thus incur his judgment. I think that's a pretty good summary of what it would be to go and preach the kingdom of heaven, right? The kingdom's at hand. The Messiah is, is here. It is time for you Jews to repent and to put your faith in Jesus because the day of, of harvest or the day of judgment is coming. And once again, I just want to tell you like that Jesus isn't sending out seminary graduates, right? These guys don't have diplomas up on their walls. They don't have denominations who have, who have vetted them through some process. So, so a very fair question is, where do the 12 who were sent out by Jesus, where do they get their credentials? Right? I, I want to suggest to you that the credentials of the apostles are quite simple. The credentials that they carry with them are their miracles. You understand this. The reason they're doing miracles is it's kind of like their credentials. The 12 preach the, the kingdom of heaven as they go, and they say, listen, the Messiah's here. You need to submit. And then someone says, like, ah, I mean, who are you? Where did you go to school? Like, what denomination has ordained you, right? I mean, there's these questions that would just be natural if people are saying that, that Jesus is the Messiah. And the apostles had this apostolic power and authority that manifested itself in these great miracles. They, they, they healed the sick. They raised the dead. They cast out demons. They, they cleansed lepers. And it all served as their credentials. And, and one of the places that, that help, helps me understand this well is, do you remember later on when the apostle Paul is writing and he's making the claim to the church in Corinth that he himself is a true apostle. He's trying to put himself in this category. And, uh, and look what he says in 2 Corinthians 12, 12. He, he's making the case that he is a true apostle. And he says this, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, the signs and wonders and mighty works. So, so basically what, what Paul is saying is the proof that I was an apostle was the fact that I was doing these signs that are limited only to the apostles. It was apostolic authority and apostolic power. I was doing these miraculous things, and you saw them. Now, my charismatic brothers and sisters, they, they want to read this text, and they want to make it so that the signs and miracles are something that anyone can do. But see, see, see Paul says, nope, it's, it's only the apostles 
right? So, so this is the, the new message of the kingdom. This is the way that they would come with their credentials. And so Jesus tells his disciples, uh, you received, he, he said this to them, you received the gospel without pay. They tells them, now give it without pay. In other words, uh, I don't think you should ever charge people a fee to hear the gospel. And he, he's instructing his disciples, don't charge people money from this. The gospel should always be given away for, for free. And then, and then Jesus is very pragmatic with them. He, Jesus actually talks with them about how they are to fund their mission, right? Because, because a man's got to eat. How is he to fund his mission? Ready? Look what he says, Matthew uh, 10, 9 through 10. He says this, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. Basically, what, what Jesus is, is teaching is that the disciples should travel light. Like, don't bring a bunch of extra gold in your belt, right? Don't, don't bring a big bag of extra stuff. For the laborer deserves his food. In other words, even though you won't be charging for the gospel, the 12 are working and they deserve to be fed. So here's how they should expect to be fed. Look at verse 11. And whatever town or village you enter... Find out who is worthy in it and, and stay there until you depart. Uh, so one way to understand this is, is that, um, that others along the way would support the 12 as they went. They would open their homes and they would open their tables to the 12 disciples. And so we begin to see a principle, a mission where there are some people who are sent to go and that there are other people who are sent to support those people who do go. And this is a good principle of missions today. We have those who go, and we have those who give. And, and both are serving God, and both are necessary. And maybe you can't support the mission of God by going. My challenge is if that's the case, and you cannot support the mission of God by, by going into the mission field, come behind those that, that go and give. This is a biblical principle. Everywhere that the 12 went, they were, they were dependent they were dependent upon the giving and the hospitality of others. And Jesus told them not to pack gold. He told them, don't bring an extra tunic. It's like Jesus had ordained a plan where others had roles to play along the way. And so, so maybe you can't go on the next mission trip to Belize, but maybe God is, is calling you to support those who do go. So look, look back at the work Jesus instructed the 12 to do. I want to look at verse 12. This is the work he told them to do. He says, as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. So the basic idea is, is this. Uh, the disciples go from home to home, and they're, they're proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. We've talked about what that sounds like. And if they find a home that is receptive to the message of the kingdom of heaven, they offer their peace to it, it says. I wonder what that means. Um, that's a word there that really means they offer their, their blessing. It, it, it almost is tied to the idea of a benediction. You know that like at the end of the service when, when I stand up here, the last thing I say is I give a benediction. It, it's kind of saying like when you find a house that's receptive of the gospel, uh, offer them uh, a blessing, a benediction, right? And they, they did so in the name of Jesus upon households that received the teaching, but the, all, like, the opposite wasn't the same. What they said is, but if the household rejected the kingdom, if they didn't accept it, 
Um, don't give them your peace or, or, or let your peace return to you. Um, I mean, if someone trusted in Jesus, you could tell them you are, I mean, because here's the logic. I mean, if, if I'm sharing the gospel with you and you receive it, I can look you in the eye and say, the blessing of Jesus upon you, and I can be speaking truth. But if I, if I look at you and you reject the gospel and I say the blessings of Jesus upon you, I'm not necessarily speaking truth. Because you have rejected uh, Jesus. Who am I to be giving you an assurance of blessing after you reject Jesus? I think that's what's going on here, right? If someone rejects Jesus, don't offer them the blessing of Jesus. Because what you're doing is you're offering them false hope and false confidence. If the house is not worthy, don't give them your peace. Let it return to you. Verse 14 adds this funny instruction of Jesus. Look at what he says in verse 14. He says, um, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house. Does anyone know exactly what that's about? Why do they shake the dust off their feet? Let me try to explain it. If, If a Jew had to travel out of Jerusalem and they had to walk through Samaria or they had to walk through a Gentile nation, like right before they stepped back over into Israel's border, what they would do is they would stop and they would shake the dust off their feet because there was a sense in which they considered um, that dust to be unclean. And so they didn't want to carry it back over into the Holy Land. So they would stop and they would shake that dust off their feet. We've talked about how the Jews had no lost love for the Gentiles or the Samaritans. They were considered outside the family of faith. So, so get this. Jesus says uh, to the 12, he says, listen, if you're, if you're traveling around Galilee, which is part of Israel, part of the good Jews that he's sending them to, and you come to a home or a town, and those Jews there don't listen to you or receive your words, you are to treat them In a sense, he's saying, you are to treat them like Gentiles. You are, as you leave their house, you are to knock the dirt off your feet just as if you had left uh, the the Samaritan lands or the, the Gentile lands. If they reject the Messiah, guess what? They are not true Israel. That's what's happening here. And So for all of the Zionists, you all know what a Zionist is? A Zionist is a person that thinks that the Jews still have a special place in God's heart, right? Like... Uh, God still, like, he, he loves the current nation of Israel over there in the Middle East, and he specifically loves them uniquely. What you need to understand is that if you think that, that Jesus still has, a, or that God still has a, a, a special covenant with them, uh, you're going to have to explain this section. Because the mission of, of, is clearly to the Jew, and it's only to the Jew, and the instruction is that, that if the Jew rejects the lordship of Jesus, then he becomes like a Gentile. And so for all those who, after Jesus, reject the lordship of Jesus, they do not have a special covenant with them. Jesus would instruct his disciples to knock the dirt off his feet when he left them. In fact, Jesus continues saying in verse 15, Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. He's talking about a Jewish town. He's talking about Jews, right? It would be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for the Jewish towns that reject the lordship of Jesus. How do we, how do we tie all this up? How do we kind of hear all this and, and, and apply it to our lives and kind of find some purpose in this teaching of Scripture? 
Um, let's summarize some of the things we've learned. First, sometimes after praying for something, God will call you to be the solution. I think you understand this. He told the 12 to pray for workers to go out into the harvest. And then in the very next verse, he made the 12 those workers who went out into the harvest. And so maybe, just maybe, in your life, you've been praying for someone or something. You've been praying for something or someone for a long time. Maybe it's just maybe that God wants to call you to be his hands and feet. Consider that. Consider that maybe there are some place that God is calling you to go. Maybe that calling is in the short-term missions. I don't know. In the same way that Jesus sent the 12 into short-term missions, maybe you ought to consider the call of Jesus in your life. Like, where are you being sent? Is it to the homeless in Jackson? Or maybe, maybe you feel like you're, you're supposed to go on a trip to Belize. Or maybe it's something else. But guys, I'm telling you, the way that Jesus trains his disciples is by sending them out. And he sends us all out through the Great Commission. Where are you sent out to? Or maybe you think that Jesus wouldn't send you because you're not perfect. Because you're not someone like the apostles. If that's what you think, you missed the story. The apostles are intentionally not perfect, right? They're uneducated, they're unrefined. But they are trusting in the training of Jesus in their life. And part of the training of Jesus is to send them into the world. Have you ever considered that might be something the Lord wants in your life? To send you out into the world. Like you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be obedient. And maybe some of you can't go. And listen, that can't, we're talking about people who for some physical reason can't go. Maybe you can't go. I think we've seen all along the way that God uses people to support those he sends out into the harvest by helping to make sure their needs are met. So consider today, if you're being called to go or if you're being called to support those who do go, because what Jesus is clear about is this, and I just will end on this. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We get up here week after week after week after week, and we say we are a gospel-driven mission-centered family of believers. And it's time for us to practice what we preach. Be thinking about whether you're called to go. Uh, Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the call upon the apostles to go, even though they weren't perfect. We, uh, We ask you to call us, Lord, that others may hear the good news and be saved for the coming harvest. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ and the church said, Amen. Amen.